Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. If you'll take your Bible and and turn to Habakkuk, Uh, we're in a short series in this Old Testament book. We're learning two things from watching Habakkuk's journey. The first thing we're learning is that Christian maturity is not the absence of questions, but the presence of trust. I mean, throughout his journey in the book, he, he never gets all of his questions really answered in the way he wants. And at the end of the book, we see uh, he still has questions, but we see also that Christian maturity is not the absence of questions, but the presence of trust. Second thing we learn from Habakkuk is that though we can't understand God's plan, very often we can learn to trust his heart. Habakkuk never quite understands why God would use the Babylonians, such a violent people, uh, to bring justice to his own people and to accomplish his plan. But what we do see is that though Habakkuk can't understand his plan, he does trust God's heart. And we are invited into this journey. We're invited to follow him, to bring our questions, to bring our lack of understanding, and to learn to trust our God. That's what Habakkuk does. And my prayer is that that's what we would do as well. Now today, uh, we get to a portion of Habakkuk where God is confronting the Babylonians. He's pronouncing warning and judgment on them because of their false gods. And what we are going to see is God hold up this reality that there are false gods and there is the one true God. And the question's going to be, who are we listening to? Are we listening to the false gods of the Babylonians the contemporary versions of them? Or are we listening to the one true God who is, was, and will always be the one true God? That's the question we're gonna face today. So we're gonna look at Habakkuk 2. I'm gonna read uh, verses 18 through 20. Then I'll pray and we'll get into God's word. Habakkuk 2.18 says, what profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word today. We thank you that... Um, that You are speaking through your word. We're grateful for this command to keep silent in our hearts and listen to what your word says. So Lord, we're we're gathering before you uh, in some some different times, different places, but we're, we're gathering before you to listen from your word. Holy Spirit, we know that you know every heart listening to this. You know every need, every story, every fear. And so Lord, we ask that you, would speak through your word, that our hearts would be silent before you to hear, and that we would respond by listening, and we'd respond by believing in you as the one true God today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now we're going to see two things today. We're going to see false gods. 
And then we're going to see the true God. So here in Habakkuk 2, God is calling out, he's pronouncing judgment and warning on the Babylonians for their false gods. And that culminates in verse 18 with a question. Uh, God says, what prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? So God is asking, hey, what good is this? What, what good is this idol that you've made? Now, the idol mentioned in verse 18 is clearly a statue or an image that has been constructed. Uh, it says it's made of metal in verse 18 and 19. It's made out of wood and, and stone. And when we think about idols, that's what we think about. We think about these statues from different cultures or maybe different times. And, and then we look at these passages and think, I don't do that. Like, I, I don't have little statues that I've made that I bow down to that I worship. But before we think that, let's look at what this passage is saying and look at our hearts. Now, what the passage tells us is that an idol is something made that we make into something more. An idol is something made that we make into something more. He says, what profit is an, is an idol when its maker has shaped it? And he mentions metal, he mentions wood, he mentions stone. So this idol is something made. And he speaks in verse 19 about overlaying it with gold and silver. So an idol is something made. But it's also, after it's made, it's made into something more. He says in verse 18 that the uh, maker trusts in his own creation. So the one who makes it has faith and trust in this thing that he's made. And then uh, he also prays to it. Look at verse 19. He says, Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, or to a silent stone, Arise. These words, Awake and Arise, those are praying words. This is the maker of these things asking for help. He's praying to this thing that he's made, saying, Help me. And so an idol is something we make that then we make into something more. And notice in verse 19 that these are dead things. They're dead things. He says, uh, but it's overlaid with gold and silver, so it's pretty on the outside. But he says, there is no breath at all in it. And so an idol is something made that we make into something more. It's dead and it's worthless. And God pronounces consequences for those who do this. He says, what profit is it? That's a warning. He's going, this doesn't do any good. Verse 19 is a judgment. He says, woe to him who does this. Woe to him who says to something made, awake, arise, I need your help. And God pronounces these consequences on people who do these things. But with all this, you still might be thinking, yeah, but I don't, I don't make things. I don't bow down to those things. I don't have statues that I pray to. And that gets us to the rest of the chapter. And in the rest of the chapter, God's word is going to confront us with a reality that false gods are not always constructed. Sometimes they're chosen. And in verses 6 through 17, God's going to call out the Babylonians for their false gods. And he starts in verse 6 with their trust in stuff. Look at verse 6. He says, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long and loads himself with pledges? Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those who awake who will make you tremble? They, then you will be spoiled for them. 
So the Babylonians were known for pillaging and capturing all the wealth of these nations. And so they had all these things. And what God is saying to them is, you trust in your stuff, but others will rise up and take all that from you. He uses the language of debtors in verse 7, that they'll suddenly arise and take away the things you are hoping in. Now, here God is reminding them that their stuff can be taken away in a moment. Now listen, I know none of us are pillaging or plundering anyone for our stuff, but we can begin to see our stuff as a means of deliverance. We can begin to trust our stockpile of food or our savings account. We can begin to think that we can be protected by what we can obtain or delivered by what we can spend money on. There's even a reality called compulsive spending where we spend thinking that spending will deliver us from our pain. And this has consequences to it. It it leads to debt. That's mentioned here in the chapter. It leads to depression. It leads us often to despair because no amount of stuff will fill the void in our hearts. That's one of the false gods of the Babylonians, and sometimes that's not constructed, but sometimes it's chosen. The second false god we see uh, shows up in verse nine. It says, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. And so here, uh, the Babylonians are trusting in themselves to keep themselves safe. Now, certainly, uh, evil gain is mentioned in verse 9, but the idea that we would trust in ourselves to keep ourselves safe is one of the things that we can trust in today. We trust in ourselves rather than trusting in the Lord to keep ourselves safe. Now, listen, the problem is not a desire to be safe. Uh, Many of us are making decisions right now uh, to keep ourselves and others safe during this time. The problem is not a desire to be safe. The problem is when we start to trust ourselves rather than trust the Lord. And we start to think that we can control our world enough, that we can protect ourselves enough, that we can do enough to be safe. We learn to trust in ourselves, and self-safety is an illusion. Self-safety is an illusion. But that's one of the things we can learn to trust in. We can learn to trust in stuff. We can learn to trust in ourselves and how safe we can make ourselves. Third thing we can trust in is our strength. Look at verse 15. It says, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You have your fill of shame instead of glory. Now, here in this verse, you see a nation making its way. No, I'm sorry. Verse 12. I skipped one. Verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and finds and, uh, and founds a city on iniquity. We're going to get to verse 15 in a moment. In verse 12, the Babylonians are trusting in their strength. They're they're building a town with blood. They're founding a city on iniquity. So they are using their strength to exalt themselves rather than to serve other people. And very often, very often, we can begin to trust in our strength rather than trust in the Lord. And we can begin to use our power for our own ends rather than to serve others. So stuff, ourself, our strength. And then finally, the verse I got to a moment ago, our status. 
In verse 15, it says, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Now, there's a lot going on in this passage. It talks about uh, making others drink to drunkenness. It talks about seeing people who are naked. Uh, But what's going on here is that the Babylonians had an idea that they were better than everyone else. And what they're doing here is they're, they're reminding everyone around them, they're rubbing their nose in the reality that the Babylonians were better. And God's saying in verse 16, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. In other words, your status will be lowered. And what these Babylonians are doing is they're trusting in their status, they're trusting in their uh, uh, being exalted over others, to feel a sense of value. Now, again, none of us would, I I don't imagine that any of us would treat people the way these Babylonians are spoken of in this passage. But for some of us, we're driven by status. We're driven by um, how people view us. We're driven by what people think of us. We're driven by status. And when we think our status is the thing that gives us a sense of value and identity and understanding of self, what we will do is everyone else becomes either an enemy of that or an agent of it. So they either we set them up to serve us or we set ourselves up to destroy them. That's what the Babylonians were doing and there are consequences when we live that way. Everyone becomes either someone we use or someone we try to destroy. Now listen, I know, I know most of us don't have statues that we've built. I know most of us don't bow or pray to them that we can be saved. And listen, none of the things mentioned in this chapter are bad in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with carving things. There's nothing wrong um, with stuff. There's nothing wrong with strength. There's nothing wrong with status. But when we take something made and make it into something more, it becomes a false god and an idol. And, and these things, they're, they're dead. They have no breath in them at all. They can't teach. They can't speak. They can't hear. And when we trust in them, there are consequences. There are consequences for choosing that path. And God's word calls us to something more. And in, in contrast to these false gods of the Babylonians, you have the true God of the Bible. Look at verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. I want to, want to point out to you in verse 20 that Lord there is all caps. This, this name keeps coming up in Habakkuk. This is God's covenant name. It was given first in um, Exodus 3 where God appears to Moses and tells him, I'm going to deliver my covenant people from Egypt. I'm going to lead them into a land that I will show them. I am going to be their God. They're going to be my people. And here's what God says in Exodus chapter 3. It says, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say? This is what God says. God said, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, all caps, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now this name, Lord, is packed with meaning. 
The first thing we see is it's a reminder that God is self-existent. He says, I am who I am, that God is not, uh, God is not dependent on anyone. He is not made. He's not made by our minds. He's not made by our wills. He's not made by our thinking. He's not made, period. He is self-existent. He depends on no one. It also reminds us that he's eternal. I am who I am. And he says, my name, this will be my name throughout all generations. He is eternal. He has always been and will always be. And finally, it reminds us that he is dependable, that he does not lie, that this is the covenant keeping God who keeps his promises. Even when a people rebel, even when a people run away, even when a people reject him, he keeps his promises to them. And so he's not like these false gods where something made becomes something more. No, our God is the maker about whom nothing greater can be made. He is the true and living God. And there's two things that Habakkuk tells us about this true and living God here in chapter two. He tells us in verse 20, the, uh, the, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. He tells us the Lord is speaking and we should be quiet and listen. In contrast to these false gods who don't have breath, who can't speak, God is speaking and we should listen. In other words, the posture of our hearts before this God should be one of submitting to him and listening to him. It should be, our posture should be one of quiet learning. Now that doesn't mean we can't pray. I mean, the whole, the whole book of Habakkuk is a record of Habakkuk praying to God and God speaking to him, his word. But what this is saying is that the Lord is in his holy temple, that he is great and grand and glorious and we should listen to him. The second thing we learn about this God in Habakkuk chapter two is probably one of my favorite verses in verse 14. It says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Here's what we learn about this God, that the Lord is working and his work will not be Stopped. It says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, I know many of you are very excited. You're anticipating the day when you can get to the beach. And you're looking forward to putting your feet in the sand and feeling the sun on your face and looking out on that gloriously massive ocean. And you see the water covering the ocean as you look out on it. When you see that ocean this summer, I want you to think about this verse and this promise that the Lord is working and his work will not be stopped. That the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like waters cover the sea. And we know this to be true. This is happening now as the gospel goes into places that we know about and places we don't. As the message of the gospel is going out and people are embracing it by faith and trusting Jesus as the Lord and Savior, this is happening now and it will happen in fullness when Jesus returns. And we know it's gonna, this is not an exaggeration. This is not uh, some promise or some hope. This will happen. And we know that because we can read the end of the story. 
In Revelation 5, we see that there will be a people from every tribe and tongue and nation gathered around the throne of Jesus. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The whole earth will be. In Revelation 5, we read, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. The day is coming when there will be a people from every tribe and tongue and nation that Jesus bought and paid for and they will be gathered around the throne. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like water covers the sea. And then that people will be set free into a world made for them. In Revelation 21, we read, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Write this down, he says. For these words are faithful and true. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like water covers the sea. The Lord is at work and his work will not be stopped. This is the true and living God. He rules and reigns. We should honor him. He speaks. We should listen. He's working in the world. We should rejoice. And so here's the question. We're presented with the false gods of the Babylonians and the true God of the Bible. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? That's the question today. Who are you listening to? Now, it's really interesting to me. The passage in verses 18 through 19, it speaks about these false gods as opposed to the true and living God. These false gods are things that they're things that are made that we make into something more. Uh, they can't speak. At the same time, they're teaching lies, it says in verse 18. It says this metal thing is a teacher of lies. It can't speak, but it teaches us lies. Our stuff that doesn't fill the void tells us, hey, if you have more of what doesn't fill the void, eventually the void will be full. Our strength tells us, hey, you're not, you're, I can't make you safe, but if you have more control, you'll feel like it. Our, our status tells us, hey, you're better than others, but we still live with this low-grade fear that we're not good enough. These these false gods that we've made or sometimes that we've chosen, they tell us lies. We listen to them. We start to believe them. And then we start to believe that these things we've made that are dependent on us will somehow fix us. They lie to us and we listen. We listen. We start to live our lives in service to them and in rejection of the one true God. And the Bible calls that sin and rebellion. And it's worthy of eternal destruction. And after all this, after all this, we have three problems. First, we don't have what we thought we would get. These false gods, they they lie to us. They promise they're going to deliver. They never do. Second problem. Our hearts become deceived. We get to a place where we can't think 
appropriately about what we're thinking. We can't think, hey, I made this thing. It's dependent on me. How is something dependent on me going to help me when I can't help myself? We were deceived by these things. But ultimately, the third problem and most significant one is that our sin leads us to destruction. Leads us to destruction. These false gods lie to us and we listen. These false gods lie to us and we listen. But the true and living God, the eternal one, the one who never lies, the one who works out his will, the one who is dependent on no one, he's speaking too. He rules and reigns. He's speaking and we should listen. He calls to us and he says, my word is true. My promises will come to pass. You can trust me. He calls to us from his word. He calls to us from the cross. And he says to us, you can trust me. And he doesn't just call, he came. The eternal one, the self-existent one, the one dependent on no one, took on flesh and dwelt among us. He lived, died, and rose again so that he could call to us and come to us so that we would trust him so that we would trust him. So who are you listening to today? Are you listening to false gods that, that lie to you, that disappoint you, that end in your destruction? Or are you listening to the one true God who loves you, who came for you, who died for you, who declares to you, if you trust me, your sin can be forgiven, your soul can be set free, your life can be changed? Who are you listening to today? I've been thinking a lot about older songs. Today I woke up with a song that's kind of new on my mind. We've sung it a few times here in our gatherings. It goes like this. Jesus said that if I thirst, I should come to him. No one else can satisfy, I should come to him. That's a good reminder. All these false gods that we make and make into something more or the ones we choose, they never satisfy. Then he says, for the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus. Jesus, strong and kind. That's good news, isn't it? But my favorite verse says this. Jesus said that if I'm lost, he will come to me. And he showed me on that cross, he will come to me. So these false gods that are dead and can't do anything for us, we can listen to them or we can listen to the one true God who lived, died, came to us, calls to us and says, trust me, trust me, listen to my word. Trust that I'm working out my plan in the world in ways you can never fathom. Trust me. Who are you listening to today? Let's pray together. Lord God, I confess that so often we listen to false things. We listen to things we've made and made into something more uh, that have no breath in them, that can't speak, that just lie to us all the time. We listen to things we've chosen. Sometimes things are chosen for us and we're given, but so often we listen to these false things rather than listen to the one true thing. Lord, I pray that our hearts today 
would obey verse 20, that we would stay silent before you, listen to your voice, and trust. Lord, there's so many things speaking to our hearts right now. Would you give us the grace to silence our hearts and listen to you? Jesus, thank you that you not only call us, but that you came for us. What grace, what grace. Help us trust you today. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.